Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Well, we're going to uh, continue in our, our series that we've been walking through the book of Hebrews. Um, and uh, we're coming to chapter 2 tonight. So you might just start making your way over there. And I want to read something I came across uh, that I thought was kind of fun. When in- insults had class. These are... Actual quotes by some fancy folk. Walter Kerr said he had delusions of adequacy. Winston Churchill said he has all the virtues I dislike and none of the vices I admire. (laughs) Clarence Darrow said, I have never killed a man, but I have read many obituaries with great pleasure. That's pretty good. Mark Twain said, I didn't attend the funeral, but I sent a nice letter saying I approved of it. (laughs) Abraham Lincoln said, he can compress the most words into the smallest idea of any man I know. Oscar Wilde said, he has no enemies, but is intensely disliked by his friends. George Bernard Shaw to Winston Churchill. I am enclosing two tickets to the first night of my new play. Bring a friend if you have one. (laughs) Winston Churchill's response, cannot possibly attend first night. I will attend second if there is one. (laughs) Stephen Bishop said, I feel so miserable without you. It's almost like having you here. Irvin S. Cobb said, I've learned about his illness. I just learned about his illness. Let's hope it's nothing trivial. (laughs) Jack Leonard said, there's nothing wrong with you that reincarnation won't cure. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? (laughs) Forrest Tucker said, he loves nature in spite of what it did to him. I like this one. Oscar Wilde said, some cause happiness wherever they go, some whenever they go. (laughs) Billy Wilder, you'll appreciate this, Jonna. He has Van Gogh's ear for music. (laughs) And the great Groucho Marx, I've had a perfectly wonderful evening, but this wasn't it. All right. On to other things besides insults. Hebrews chapter 2. Now, I want to remind you tonight that this letter um, was written to the Jews, obviously, called Hebrews. Uh, And understanding the audience is key to our understanding, having good understanding about this book. As I've told you before, and I'll continue to tell you, that all the Bible is for us, but not all the Bible is to us. There, there There are scriptures that, that are directly to us, especially from the Apostle Paul. Um, we learn a lot of the Jewish history and the Old Testament and those things like that. But the things concerning the law, they don't apply to us. They never did apply to us. They were never meant for us. They were meant to, to, for the Jews. The law came as to establish the Jews as a nation, nation, the nation of Israel. It's when they became a nation when the law came. God brought them out through miraculous signs and wonders out of Egypt. And then he made a nation unto himself with those laws. 
which did not apply to any of us. And the one who was on the outside of that, well, it was tough for you. He was only focused on the natural-born children of Abraham at one time, but praise God through the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us, by faith in Christ, receive all the benefits and favor and salvation and grace from God. But, uh, and this letter was specifically written to make the argument uh, for Christ and his message. Um, it proves his superiority to all the prophets. Remember how it opened up? God, who at various times and in various ways spoken time past to us by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, which means Jesus is God's final word to us. The final answer. And so uh, everything, uh, the, he is what God has been wanting to say throughout all of those ages. And Paul said there was this mystery that was hidden throughout the ages as well. And that is Christ in you. And he was specifically talking about us, us pagan, godless, blood-drinking Gentiles. That it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, hallelujah, the gospel comes to all men. And Christ now is dwelling in your hearts. No, the guys in the time past didn't see it. But now this message of the gospel, this final word to us in Jesus, has opened up the way for all men to come to him. Amen. But it proves his superiority to the prophets and to uh, the law of Moses uh, and the angels. Remember we talked about how God, the scripture was saying, well, to which of the angels did, did God say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or, or uh, God, your God has highly exalted you. Right? So it, it shows us the superiority. And so as in to draw in those who were believing Jews, or what would be known as Messianic Jews, these are Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but still that were, were being pulled away to the Jewish customs, to the, to the animal sacrifices. Remember that blood that, would, that was shed to atone for the sins, but never could take away the sins of the people. It would just pacify God's wrath. It would keep them from being killed by him. So... Um, those were, those were tough times. And so, but they kept being pulled back into the sacrificial system. Not, I mean, they, they, they believed that Jesus was the Christ, but they didn't really see the implication or the significance of that death now, what it means in their everyday life, in, the, in their worship and, and their practice of life. So Hebrews 2 opens up with this. When it ends talking about Christ, remember the last verse talks about the angels are sent as ministers, ministering spirits for us. And then it says, therefore... Hebrews 2.1, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. Now, that's a truth for all of us, that we give earnest heed to the things that we've heard. We give earnest heed to the gospel lest we drift away. Because in this day and age, especially in this day and age, with all the distractions that's out there and all the philosophy of man and all this stuff other than the gospel, if, if, we, if we give too much attention to it and focus on it, we can find ourselves drifting without even realizing it. And therefore, he says, because Christ is so great, because I've shown this to you, we must pay more careful attention now to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. We need to anchor ourselves in this message of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the currents of life will take us away. The way to stay anchored is to focus on this message of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word heed here just means to, to bring to or to bring near, to bring a ship to land. I remember some years ago, I was, I was uh, out fishing with Pastor Troy Hendrickson on Lake Louisville. And I don't know, it's probably 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and we were, we were uh, tied to this bridge. 
and uh, fishing under this bridge at night. And we had the lights pointing down the water, and we were fishing for white bass. And we had a great time, caught several fish. And it was beautiful. It was just a still night. But then as we decided that we were going to leave around probably 2, 2.30 in the morning, we, we uh, untied from the, from the post there of the, the bridge pillar, and then we, we made our way back. And as soon as we began to head back toward land, the, the wind picked up and the waves got really big. And, and so he barely got me to the dock to get up to the shore to get the pickup in the trailer. And as I backed it down, he was having the hardest time pushing against those waves and, and, and to get on the boat. We liked to never got it on there, but thank God we did. And when I, when I saw that, that definition to bring the ship in, lest you drift away, I thought about that moment where we easily, but we had to fight past that. Thank God for engine power. And uh, we're able to push through. And as you continue to look into the gospel and all of its power and keep that as your focus. And later on in this, in this book, he says, looking unto Jesus, right? Looking unto Jesus. He's the central focus. He's, we're anchored in him so that we're not easily pulled away from the truth of his word, the truth of his gospel. For if the word, verse 2, spoken through angels proved steadfast, and he's talking about how the law was delivered to the Jews. Uh, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Remember, this was the, the way the law worked. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. And even in, the De in Deuteronomy chapter 28, when he lists all those great blessings, if you continue to read that chapter, you find there are twice as many curses as there are blessings. And then it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If, if the law proved to be true, that you, there was reward for whatever kind of work was accomplished, how are we going to escape if we neglect this great salvation? The law was not a salvation. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. I think it's interesting. It says that it was first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. This is why, and I, I, I agree with some of these scholars who say this, that they do not believe that Paul wrote this book for that very reason. Because the author of this book is admitting that he learned from others who heard Jesus. All right, Paul never made that statement. He always said, I didn't get this from men. I got my message from Jesus Christ. He personally taught me the things that I, that I know. And so, I mean, his, his apostleship was not, did not have a stamp of approval, by, didn't need a stamp of approval by man. He eventually got it. They gave him the right hand of fellowship, but it wasn't because he was asking for it. Right? He already knew who he was. He knew that he had been called by God and, and the Lord had taught him for many, many years before he ever began to uh, teach himself. And so, how... If the, if the message of the angels was binding, and it was, and, and, and disobedient were punished, surely we won't es escape if we ignore the message of Christ. And this is what he's trying to get the, those Jews to understand. If there are consequences for disobeying the law, then there are consequences for neglecting the salvation. All right? There are consequences for it, for, for refusing this great grace that has come to us from God. And so this, there, this is an argument that proceeds from the lesser to the greater, which is, which is a common Jewish method of teaching. So he's saying if Jesus then is better than the angels, then his message is better than theirs. And if the message delivered by servants was authoritative, and it was, then the message delivered by the Son is even more so. Now, tonight I'm going to be in a teaching mode if you haven't already figured that out. So uh, probably not going to get a whole lot of holler tonight. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. I'll be here all week. But these readers, they were attentive to the law of Moses, but they, they weren't attentive to enough, it seems, to the message of Jesus. They believed in Jesus as the Christ, but they hadn't really grasped, as I said earlier, his significance. So the author begins with concepts that the readers can agree with. And they go through chapter 1 agreeing with him, and then he takes the point of agreement and turns it into a point of correction. Right? And he uses all those Old Testament scriptures for them to see that God was talking about Jesus, and these prophets were pointing to Jesus, and he's saying, okay, now you see this. Now I'm going to help you understand what that means for your life now. You've got to make some changes here. You cannot serve the law and Christ too. You can't live by the law and the gospel too. They don't mix. Unfortunately, it's sad to say that a lot of preachers, uh, Gentile preachers today, are preaching law and grace. Guys who don't know anything about the law. There's never even for us are preaching the law to people and condemning people and speaking down to people and judging people and making them feel bad. You know, we don't want to make people feel too good in church. The good news is good news, but... Right? They always want to put a catch, but the gospel is the gospel. It's good news, period. And I'm convinced if people really did hear the gospel the way it's supposed to be preached, it would be virtually irresistible. But, but it's just not the overarching message of the church yet. Men are still thinking you've got to perform for this thing rather than just simply receive it by faith and, and, and enjoy all the beauty of this grace. All right, verse 3, how shall we escape if we ne neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Verse 4, God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now I want you to jump over to Mark chapter 16 for a moment. He said that God confirmed this word with various signs and wonders. And remember, after Jesus was raised from the dead, and he's given the disciples the last few bits of instruction before he leaves, we find in Mark chapter 16 and verse 19, the last two verses, 19 and 20, uh, actually 18 was the last thing he said. Verse 19 says, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, <clears throat> everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. All right? And we still see these things today. We still see miracles today. We, still, we had six or seven kids get healed of various things at youth camp just last week. We're, we're still experiencing the power of God today. And that happens in the atmosphere of faith, not skepticism. Well, I don't believe that happens. I ain't never seen it. You think there's a correlation. I ain't never seen it, and I don't believe it. Maybe there's a correlation. Okay. I don't know. Maybe that just makes too much sense. All right. Verse 5, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Again, he's going to be quoting Psalms, going to be quoting King David. Or the son of man that you take care of him, you have made him a little lower than the angels. Now David is talking about himself and, and mankind here, but ultimately Christ is being spoken of here. All right? You have made him a little lower in the, than the angels. Now, so in chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews opens up and he talks about Jesus' superiority over the angels. Remember that? To which of the angels did he say this? Or to which of the angels did he say that? But now he's uh, 
Uh, now he will demonstrate the humanity of Jesus from the scriptures and apply the implications now of his humanity. There he's talking the, his, his superiority and his deity, Jesus as God, right? Far above the angels. But now he's going to talk about the humanness of Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, and that he was made a little lower than the angels. He wasn't made a little lower in, in rank. He was made a little lower in this, in that he became subject to death. This Im, that immortal man became a mortal man, all right? And since angels don't die, he was lower than them in that sense, all right? Not in his greatness, but it, actually in his humanity and his humility. So it's, in, it's scripturally inaccurate to believe that, that Jesus is either only God or he is only man. It's also wrong to think that he's 50% man and 50% God. It's also not right to think that he is God inside and man outside. But the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus is fully man and he's fully God. Both the human nature and the divine nature exist in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we've got to continue to read uh, verse 7 of Hebrews. Are you all right out there? You have crowned him... You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Now, remember, David's talking about mankind at this moment. You have put all things, everybody say all things, in subjection under his feet. All right? So David is talking about actually man's created purpose. When God created man in the beginning, the first thing that he said to Adam and Eve, remember this, he said, be fruitful and multiply, which means have babies. Come on, guys. Where are the men here? That's your verse. All right. To have babies, you have to be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. That's what he says. Subdue the earth. Have dominion. All right. In other words, God said, man, the earth is yours. All right. Man, the earth is yours. You're in charge. Haven't we done a marvelous job? If God's so good, why is there poverty? Because man is dumb. If God's so good, why are there people starving? Because man did that. God put us in charge of this earth. Now, there is a time, thank God, that Jesus Christ is going to come and make everything right. He's going to establish his literal kingdom on the earth. But for now, he's put it in our hands. All right? So this isn't God's doing. This is our doing. All right. Okay. We need to take responsibility where we need to take responsibility. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. That, that, that's, that's what verse 5 says. So God did not give the angels dominion over the world, nor did he give them dominion over the world to come, even though they are powerful, powerful beings. But yet, as powerful as they are, let me remind you, they're here to serve you. They wait on your, on your word. Amen. So the psalm... This psalm in particular reveals the smallness of man in relation to God. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would visit him? The smallness of man in contrast to God and as the creator of all things. But my family, it also reveals the dominion that God has given to man. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. Even though he is a little lower than the angels in that he is subject to death. Verse 8, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we did not yet see all the things put under him. So what he's saying, it was 
all-inclusive. What God said, when he said all things are under your feet, he didn't leave anything out. That's what he's saying. All things. He meant all things. But yet we don't see the evidence of all things being under man's feet yet. So how can Jesus rule and reign over this world to come if he is not a man? How can he rule and reign if he's not a man? Because God put man in charge here. You hearing me? So since that's true, then God's promise to put the world under subjection to man would be untrue if Jesus wasn't a man. But since he did become a man, and since God did become a man, and since the word did become flesh and dwelt among us, then that saying is absolutely true that Jesus, the man, will rule everything. Amen. Amen. And that's good news for all of us. Let me just say this. That's really good news for you and I, that there is a man seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a man there. And what that means is that gives all men hope with God. Because he's there representing us. He's there representing us. The scripture says there is, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Yes, he's God. But we also need to be grateful to God and thankful that he is a man seated there. Because as long as that man is there, we all have hope. All right? We all have hope. I love this. Think about this for just a moment. God forever changed himself forever changed himself and became like us, forever changed himself, took upon flesh and ascended into heaven with flesh and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in flesh, a man, and he's never going to change. And since he will never change as the son of man, my family, then we are secure in knowing that we will never change as sons of God. As long as he's the son of man, we'll be sons of God. Yeah. That's a long, long time. Yeah. Amen. That's good news. Yeah. Right. I don't care who you are, it's good news. Right. But we see Jesus, verse 9. But we see Jesus. Now, we don't see all things put under his feet, but we see Jesus. We don't see all this come to pass yet, but we see Jesus. This is the hope that we have, that we don't see it yet, but we know it's coming because we see him. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus, who is Lord over all and through whom man can regain the dominion originally intended for Adam. Jesus is head over all things, but we haven't seen the full manifestation yet until his return when he establishes his kingdom on the earth. Now I want you to jump over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses here. Verse 22. Let's bring that up. And he put all things under his feet. That is, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him to be head over all things to who? To the church. He gave him to be head over all things to the church. you understand how significant, how meaningful and important the church is in the earth because of this verse right here? All right? Because he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we, the church, as the body of Christ, therefore, are the expression of Christ's authority in the earth until he returns. All right? We are the expression of his authority in the earth until he returns. That's 
how much God believes in you and believes in his church. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Jesus was made lower than the angels in that he suffered in death. That's what I said. He became mortal. Angels don't die. But now Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because, by the grace of God, he died for all men. And not only did he die for all men, but they buried him in a tomb. And then three days later, he got up out of that tomb alive and is alive forevermore. For it was fitting for him, verse 10, for whom are all, all, (laughs) that's hard to say all that. For whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. I love that name. I love that phrase, that definition, I should say, of Jesus, the captain of our salvation. Is when Jeremiah, when, when we have communion, every time we do communion, you know, she says, let's raise our glass and toast the captain of our salvation. Ah! Yeah. Right. Makes me feel like I'm a gladiator or something. <laughs> the captain of our salvation. Gentlemen! What you do in life echoes throughout eternity. That was the great theologian Russell Crowe. What you do in life echoes throughout eternity. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Did you see that? Jesus was made perfect through sufferings. Now I want to park on this for just a moment because it sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Wasn't he already perfect? It isn't that there was anything lacking in in his deity, uh, but only in his experience. Nothing lacking in his deity, just only in his experience. How does God in heaven know suffering unless he himself has experienced it? And up until that time, he hadn't known suffering like we had known. He didn't know it. He didn't understand it, didn't comprehend it. So Jesus then was made perfect in this way or completion because he came and dwelt among us and then he began to sense the pain, the suffering, the rejection, and all the kind of garbage that we face here on planet Earth. That blesses me. And and to be made perfect does not imply that Jesus uh, 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 had moral imperfection either. It reveals the completion of the human experience of sorrow and pain and death, which Jesus endured in order to become the captain of all of our salvation. Did you catch that? All right, verse 11, we've got to keep moving. For both he who sanctifies, who's he who sanctifies? Are you out there? Who sanctifies? Yeah, there. God, it's not a trick question. It's pretty simple, actually. God is the only one that can sanctify us, right? For he who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified, who's that? All right. Which means if you're being sanctified, that means you are in process. That's hopeful. It's hopeful in a couple of ways, all right? One, this isn't the final product. Thank you, Jesus. Your body is, you're going to get a brand new body, glorified body, free of aches and pains and allergies and chronic illness and all that kind of stuff. Huh? This isn't the final product. We're all in process. We're being sanctified. And then also the sanctification is about us renewing our minds. 
Some, the, the more we get of the Word of God, the more we give ourselves to the Word of God, the less like the world we become. And when we're in this atmosphere amongst the people of God, we get a little taste of heaven here. Because heaven is going to be people gathered in the joy of the Lord forever and ever and ever. So we just get a glimpse of it here, and we were reminded those things that Jesus said. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Yeah. Amen. We're in it, but we're not of it. So sanctification is, is walking in that in, not of. All right? For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are, are in process, are all of one. Wow, check that out. You are already like him, even though you're in process right now. Yeah, right. So there's something about you that's already perfect. Yeah. Now, I know, I know you know you, I know you, and I know yeah. me. Far from perfect. But in God's mind, in God's mind, you are. Yeah. Because he who began... A good work in you, the scripture says, yeah. he will complete it. So God declares the end from the beginning. And when John had that revelation, remember the book of Revelation, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not end times. <laughs> okay. It's a revelation of these guys keep writing their books and taking people's money and then have no idea what they're talking about. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. They keep setting dates. He's coming back here. One of these bozos going to figure it out that they don't know. Because if we could just get to the heart of the matter, it's really about greed. It's really about money because they know, they know how people can be, especially those gullible Christians. Those dumb, gullible Christians. And they might be right in, a little, in, in some ways because the Scripture says that love believes all things. Love is pretty gullible then. I mean, think about that. We want love to believe all things. We want love to believe, which is God. God is love. God is love, which means God believes all things, which means He believes that Jesus did wash away all your sins even if you have sinned. Even if you are right now sinning. We want love to believe all things. At that moment, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, that he reconciled the whole world unto himself. Is that too much to say right now? Huh? Because this is, this is the amazing grace of God, that he took away all of our sins. All of them. All right? I love that. Okay. I don't know where I, well, how did I get there? Why did I go, even go there? Because I got off my notes. I got to stop doing that. I'm better than, I know, I teach Preachers not to get off of their notes. And here I am doing it. But I already made the grade, so, okay. For both he who sanctifies and those who, okay. For this, for which reason, watch this. He is not ashamed to call them his brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his family. Anybody have family members? You might be ashamed to call your, your family members. What did one guy say? You can pick your friends, but you are stuck with your family. Right? You're stuck with them. And sometimes we don't want to admit who we are kin to or who is kin to us. And, but, I mean, think about Jesus. He's looking at this room full of people. If you're a believer here tonight, and he's not ashamed of you. 
That's, that's my brother. That's my sister. They're in my family. They stumble. They fall. They fail. I'm not ashamed of them. Now you think about how awesome that is and how there are those who are yet ashamed, who say they believe on Jesus but are ashamed of him. Ashamed of him. Who actually should be embarrassed in that family? Jesus or us? Right? And if anybody has a right to embarrassment, oh God, Jeremiah's in my family. Yep. No, but he's not ashamed to call him. What is there, what is there about him to be ashamed about? Right? He's perfect. He's never sinned. And not only is, is, is he holy and just, and, but he loves us unconditionally. And he chose to step right in our path of destruction and take upon that whole, every bit of the sin, the destruction that was heading our way and that was taking us to eternal, right. eternal destruction. Jesus took all of it upon himself, right. stepped in the way of our death, yeah. took it upon himself, and exchanged life, gives us life. What is there to be ashamed about? What is there to be ashamed about? He has the name that is above every name. The scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is there to be ashamed about, my family? He's not ashamed of you. I'm not saying you're ashamed of him. I'm just saying it's, there's no reason why we should ever be quiet or squeamish about him. Right? The world, the world is, is, is screaming all kinds of things. Just get right in the mix and scream back. Huh? Don't be silent. Don't be silent. Proclaim his name. The world needs Jesus. What the world needs now. They need Jesus. He's the answer. Not religion. Not philosophy. Jesus is the answer. All right? That's it. That's it. The message is Christ died for your sins, not you're a sinner. The message is Christ died for your sins, not you're going to hell. The message is Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. God reconciled the whole world. Matter of fact, your name's already written in heaven before you ever even believed on him. Jesus provided a way for everyone there. There's only one caveat you just got to claim your reservation. He's got to claim your reservation. Yeah. He already has a place for you in heaven. You can't earn it. It's already there. Yeah. All you have to do is receive it by faith. I'm yeah. going to that party. Yeah. Yeah. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. You're one with him. And he's not ashamed to call you his brethren. Verse 13, 12, I'm sorry. I'm almost through saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And if you're going to be studying this, write Psalm 22, 22. That's what that quote is from. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. That's found in 1 Samuel 22, 3. You can just write that down. And here I am. Or him, here am I, and the children whom God has given me. This is what Jesus is saying of all of you here. This is glorious. That's found in Isaiah 8.18. All right, Isaiah 8.18. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. 
And through death, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus became a man, so his death then would be effective for us, mankind. The devil and death can no longer keep us captive. They've, they've been conquered. Hallelujah. Now, we haven't seen the final, like I said, we haven't seen the final product of that yet, the final fruit, but it's coming. And release those, verse 15, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Who through fear of death were all their lifetime. So now, what he's talking about here are those who were practicing the law. Do you know why that the children of Israel followed the law? Because they knew if they didn't, they would die. That was the harshness. It's written on stone. Right? Every I better be dotted and every T better be crossed. Because if you screw this up, you're dead. You're dead. Cold, hard stones. Paul called it the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. That's all it produced. Death and condemnation. We need to get the Ten Commandments back in our... No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we need the gospel. All right? We don't need do's and don'ts. We need Jesus. Yeah. I need a really good amen right there, huh? Yeah. There you I mean, have, you, have, you, have, you, have you tried the do's and don'ts? Huh? Have you tried them? I've tried them. I'm not good at them. I always don't the do's and do the don'ts. Okay. Another great uh, theologian by the name of Bono from U2 said, I'm holding out for grace. He actually has a very good uh, understanding. He said, I'm holding out for grace because if Christianity is just another form of karma, then I'm hopeless. If I'm getting what's coming to me, then I'm hopeless. So I'm, I'm holding out for this grace that, that, that the Scriptures teach came to us that though we deserve death, yet He chose not to give us death. See, that's what makes grace greater than anything else. What makes grace greater than consequences? What makes grace greater than sowing and reaping? Hallelujah. Jesus sowed, glory to God, so that you would reap his benefits. You wouldn't reap, you wouldn't reap what you sowed. You reap what he sowed. Oh, my goodness. See, that's the grace of God. Amen. Grace is you receiving what God wants you to have, not what you deserve, but what God wants you to have. Amen. Hope that makes you feel good. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So they kept the law simply to keep from dying. Keeping the law was not about living a life of love and appreciation and gratitude to the Lord. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about trying to please God. It was about trying to stay alive. How miserable is that existence? For indeed, verse 16, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And here yet again is another scripture that applies directly to you. Amen. All right? Amen. We understand that this letter was written primarily to the Jews, but this letter is about Jesus. And so he has everything to do with us, and we can glean things that are pertaining to us. Now I want you to go to one more place, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Galatians chapter 3. For you are all sons of God. How? Through faith in Christ 
Jesus. All right? Not because you went to church. Not because you read your Bible. Not because you prayed a prayer. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Remember we did baptisms a little while ago, right? They, they, that's putting on Christ. They, they buried the old man, the old nature. They, they no longer identify with who they were. And now when you come up out of the water, you rise in newness of life. That's not how you are saved. You're saved by grace through faith. But it is how you live a better life in this world. All right? It's a, it's, a, it's a putting away of the old things and rising to new things. Amen. It's actually more than just symbolic. Amen. Verse uh, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All right? It's interesting. Elaine was telling me earlier that she was listening to um, uh, uh, a message. Was it the radio you said? And that... And that she heard this preacher say that Jesus is the equalizer, the greatest equalizer. Made all of us equal in God's eyes. Hallelujah. I like that. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Are you Christ? Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now let's go back to that verse in verse 16. It says, for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. All right. So Jesus is there. Seated next to his father, but he's giving aid to you, the seed of Abraham. You're a seed of Abraham because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Therefore, last two verses. In all things, he, made, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He had to become like us so he could understand what we were going through. So that he could sympathize with us. So he could feel what we're feeling. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And we know that Jesus was tempted of the devil, but he overcame every temptation. Every temptation. The scripture says that he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus could have, but he didn't. He could have sinned. He could have given in, but he didn't. He, he humbled himself and became a man and, and became one that, would, that could choose good from evil, but he only chose good. Thank God for our hero, Jesus Christ, who showed us that it is possible to live in this body and to live a life well-pleasing to God. It really is possible. My family, you don't have to sin. Well, I had a few of you with me there. You don't have to. Well, we're all just sinners saved by... No, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're either a sinner or you're saved by grace. They're not the same thing. All right? Now that you're saved by grace, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, which means you don't have to sin. Remember what he told the lady with the, uh, that was caught in adultery, right? And the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, came and said, well, the law says we got a stoner, right? And they all had their, their rocks in their hand ready to pelt this woman to death. We caught her in the very act, perverts. What were you doing in there? All right, anyway. We caught her in the act. And then Jesus says, okay, he was without sin, cast the first stone. Go ahead. Yeah, whoever's, whoever's not screwed up, go ahead. Oh, well, since you put it that way, Jesus. Ooh. All right, so they all walk off. And then Jesus looks at her and says, where are your accusers? Right? So the only one that actually had the right to throw the stone because he never sinned didn't throw it. Now, this is grace. 
The only one that was actually lawfully qualified to kill this woman <laughs> didn't do it. He actually said, neither do I condemn you. Watch. Go and go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Which means when there is no condemnation, my family, then you are free to not sin. This isn't him going, now don't go do that again. No, he says, no, now you're free. Go and sin no more. Now you're free. You got power over this now. Because there's no condemnation. There's no guilt or shame or any of that stuff that's attached to it. You're completely free. And the scripture says, we are no longer, we are, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, you are under grace. All right? Trying to keep the rules doesn't make you free from sin. It actually helps you sin. But grace gets you out from under that nasty, nasty dominion of sin. Because God became a man and has experienced himself human suffering, then he is able to aid those who are being tempted. And when we are suffering, he really knows what we're going through. Jesus Christ really knows what you're going through. He understands. He's with you. He can totally relate. There is a God in heaven right now. Think about this. There is a God in heaven who created all things, who is holy and just and good, who by experience knows what you and I are going through and can aid us, not just feel bad for us, not just raise awareness. He is always praying for us. He is always on our side, and he always provides a pathway to victory. Father, thank you for this time together with all of these wonderful people in this room tonight. We thank you for the gospel that has come to us, that good news that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And whoever, whoever believes on Him will receive everlasting life. Thank You, Lord, that we could never, ever, ever out Your amazing grace. Because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And we thank you, Lord, because of that truth, Lord, we actually sin less. Because of that truth, Lord, we're not bound to sin. We're bound to righteousness. We're bound to freedom and liberty in you. And Lord, we do thank you, though, as John said, if we do sin, if we do sin, we have a high priest, one who speaks on our behalf, Jesus Christ the righteous. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being on our side tonight. Thank you for calling us your family. Help us to never shy away, to never be ashamed, to never, Lord, to never be intimidated of you in our life, but to boldly proclaim your love and grace to this lost and dying, sighing, crying, dying humanity, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Your message is what lifts us up. Your message is what elevates us to a new life. It's you and only you. And we give you praise and glory. Not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by your own mercy you saved us. And we thank you for that tonight. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for this life that you've given us. We understand we didn't create this life. 
This life is a gift from you. Every day that we live, every breath that we take is a gift from you. And what we do with this life is our gift back to you. Thank you, Lord. Bless all these here tonight. I pray that grace and peace will be multiplied to them. As they leave from here tonight, Lord, they go in the blessing and favor of God. I thank you, Lord, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. Thank you, Lord, that this is a people who know their God, who are strong, and who do great things in the earth. Thank you, Lord, that they're strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, that their families are strong. Lord, that love abounds in these marriages, and Lord, in the, in the lives of their children, Lord, that they are lights wherever they go. Lord, that they... They show your glory. They show your goodness wherever they go, your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you put this message in our hearts and in our mouths, Lord. That wherever we go, Lord, that we will help bring others to you by that beautiful, simple gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and all your household will be saved. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.